1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, in the presence of salsa, hallelujah. <laughs> all right, all right, let's get serious, let's get serious, let's get into his word. Verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world that none of them is without significance. Therefore, if, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Lord, we thank you this, this day for these wonderful reminders that we have had of who you are, of your goodness, of your kindness, of your mercy. Thank you for the word of God that we're able to look into, that we're able to hear from. And that is your word, God, that we want to hear. We want to hear your voice this morning. And so, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. Pray that you would be glorified through me, your servant. I pray that you would remove every distraction from our minds and our hearts in this space, those who are joining us online and those who will hear this or see this later, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would direct us. We thank you and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now you may be seated and you may remain seated. Hallelujah. If you don't have an outline and you would like an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want you to be able to follow along uh, in the introduction and also for you to hopefully take some notes and take this message beyond here into your lives. We are in a series called Church Function. We're talking about the way that the church should function, the way the church should operate. And so it's important for us to, to understand these things that we're talking about. We began in chapter 12. In dealing with the gifts of the Spirit, and chapter uh, 13, Pastor Rod did a great job in sharing God's Word about the, the awesomeness and the importance and, the, and really the preeminence of love in our gatherings. Amen? Amen? Can we thank Pastor Rod for the Word of the Lord that he brought forth? 
Pastor Aldo, Pastor Aldo, he took us on a detour, but I asked him to take us on this detour, right? Because we're like in the, in the middle of this, this Lent season, and so he was just being obedient. And, uh, and he shared God's word with us about the difference between penance and repentance. Praise the Lord. I, I told my daughter today, I, I, or yesterday actually, there was, there was a situation that happened with the pool. And, uh, and so I was like, hey, for your penance, you can sweep the pool. And I reminded her this morning of her penance, and she reminded me she's not Catholic. But anyway, there it is. So, you know, but, but anyway, either way, you know, we're going to work on that there. Um, so she's so so she so the message must have landed very well on her heart and she understands the the grace of God praise the lord she just needs to repent but 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 there is but there, there is the fruit of repentance right amen so there there it is there's that there there there's the clause right the fruit of repentance you're not trying to earn you're forgiven but you still have to do some things uh, well there it is so today we are back in 1 Corinthians. As you can see, we read the beginning of chapter 14. Chapter 14 is the closing argument the Apostle Paul makes in dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. Remember, as we're walking through 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is addressing issues and questions that it seems that the church of Corinth have for him. And he comes to this point and he spends three chapters in our Bibles. I don't think that there were chapters and verses at the time that he wrote them. But he spends a lengthy period of time speaking on the gifts of the Spirit laying out the foundation in chapter 12, um, giving us the glue in chapter 13, because when you look at what the gifts are, you know what the gifts are, you know that they're needed for the body, there has to be a right motivation for why you want to operate in these gifts, and that motivation must be love. It has to be that, or else you're going to do things the wrong way. And then chapter 14, he finishes and says, this is what love looks like in the context of using the gifts. Now, I want you to notice that he is utilizing this, and he, and, and he specifically goes from chapter 12, where he talked about a lot of gifts, to now he's narrowing it down to two specific gifts, okay? And it's not to say that these other gifts don't matter, but this should be the principle of how we operate within the gifts of the Spirit. And so in your outline here, there, this is true, right? There is not, There are not many points of greater contention within the church than where we land on the gifts of the Spirit. If, you're, if you've been a Christian for a little while, you have probably heard different conversations. So I'll give you my background. So I was radically saved right before I turned 18 years old. My grandmother and, and my mother, they were attending an Assemblies of God church in Longwood. And so I began to join, I, you know, I began um, worshiping God at that church. I became part of that congregation. And there was something that we did sometimes, and we don't necessarily do this in, in today in, in our church, but there was time when people would have the opportunities to share a testimony. So when they would share this testimony, they would get up and, you know, they would share different things that were going on in their lives. And, and there were a couple of times that, that people got up and they talked about how grateful they were for their church, how grateful they were for being part of this, that they were in a different denomination. They were in a different place where they expressed there was no life. But when they came into the Assemblies of God Church, which is a Pentecostal church, a charismatic church, they, were, they, they experienced a freedom in worship, right? You, they, they experienced this liberty. This, is, this was their expression. 
And so as they express that, remember, I don't have any context outside of my church. I only know worship in the context of the assemblies of God. I only know preaching, you know, that I know in the context of the assemblies of God. I only know ministry within that context. So I'm hearing people who are older than me, who are given a microphone, who are able to really, and I'm just going to keep it 100, bash other parts of the church as though they're dead and they're spiritless. Then God providentially introduces me to this beautiful, amazing Baptist girl who happens to be incognito in a Pentecostal church. And I meet her family, and, and, and so her family is all Baptist. And as I'm sharing life with her family, I'm like, they don't look much different than my Pentecostal friends. As a matter of fact, her uncle, the first time I heard this guy preach, he was preaching at a funeral. At, at a funeral, y'all. And I was like, if that dude ain't Pentecostal, I don't know what Pentecostal is. And then after the preaching, I sit down with him. I have a conversation with him. And he's t- this is what he says to me. He's like, you know, I have, a, I have a notepad by the side of my bed. Hear me now. Just in case the Lord wakes me up and gives me a message. I'm like, dog on it. I thought only Pentecostals believed that God spoke. Baptists don't believe that God speaks. And so when I say this, this is not an exaggeration, right? We joke, you know, Dr. Pete, he comes here. His joke is he can't get his hands past here. Come on now. Right? You guys don't know Dr. Pete. Dr. Pete is a leader of Forge, a men's ministry that I'm part of. I encourage you to join me, guys, on Tuesday mornings, Thursday mornings. But that, that's his joke. He'll joke and say, you know, we're the frozen chosen, right? Stuff like that, right? Like there's, I mean, I mean there, there are things, right? So we can, we can do this in jest, but when we really get down to it, right, there's other people who I, I, I would listen to. I, I, heard, I would listen to their work. The reason I study the Bible the way that I do today is because of a man by the name of John MacArthur. And I, don't, and I don't generally like to name names, but I want to make a point here. And the point is I already, I already dished on, you know, uh, my, my Pentecostal friends who were, you know, slamming um, non-Pentecostals. But John MacArthur, I used to hear him teach. I used to drive back and forth to work. I worked for, I lived in Longwood. I was driving like out towards Kissimmee. And so I, I, every night when I was coming home, I would, he, was, he was one of the guys, Charles, Charles Stanley, John MacArthur, like you know these names, right? These are household names. Powerful Bible teachers. I didn't know what I was listening to. I just know these guys were teaching God's word powerfully. And then a couple of years ago, John MacArthur leads this conference called Strange Fire. And when he leads this conference called Strange Fire, he bashes every person who believes that tongues and the gifts of the Spirit that are like that are for today. Bashes them to the point that I'm not like this generally. I, I emailed the guy and I was like, are you joking? Like my, my heart was hurt because I'm like, you understand I study my Bible because I learned from you how to study Scripture. I own your study Bible. I argue with you all the time when it comes to certain topics. Hello. Because no man is infallible, right? The point that I'm making is that we have some people over here who believe, oh, man, you have to, like, go in and go at it, and it's got to be all out, like, falling down, kicking chairs, hair all over the plate. You know, for those who have hair, right, I don't have hair, so no matter what, that would be a real miracle. But anyway, (laughs) Put some miracle girl on my head. No, 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 I'm joking. So, 
But then, then, there's, then there's other people who say, oh, all of that stuff is just emotional chaos, and, and that's charismania. And so when I say that, I'm not over-exaggerating. I'm not, I'm not over, overstating the point. Like, this is a huge thing within the church. Where do you land on the gifts of the Spirit? And so here's the thing. What God intends for beauty, I want you to get this. What God intends for beauty and the maturing of the church has been ignored, abused, and flat-out rejected by some. This leaves us with one or two options. We can choose to obey God, seeking to please him, and embrace the gifts of the Spirit as biblical and necessary for today, or we can reject God's word and ignore the third person of the Godhead. See, here's why this is so important, because God... The Spirit inspired these words. Paul starts off in chapter 12 and says, I do not want you to be ignorant. And I want you to know it wasn't that they were ignoring the gifts of the Spirit. It was that they were ignoring the correct application of the gifts of the Spirit. And so both of these extremes are wrong, and what we want to do and what we want to strive to do is be as biblical as we can. And so here's what I want you to think about this morning. When we pursue love, our desires for the gifts will conform to God's building plan. When we pursue love, our desires for the gifts will conform to God's building plan. Here's, here, here's the thing. For those that would land over here in the MacArthur camp, they're denying scripture that, that says these gifts are vital for the building up of the church. For those over here who think there's no restraints, we just got to be all out everywhere doing whatever, and if it feels like the spirit, then we run with it. They're denying the scriptures that show us how we are supposed to grow in love. There's a building plan. God is building his church. And I don't know about you, but I'm in this because I want to be part of God's building plan. I don't want to be a stumbling block in his plan. I don't want to be a hindrance to his plan. I want to be part of his plan. And so that's my encouragement this morning is that we would do that. And so the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, love should be... Our highest, our highest pursuit. Love should be our highest pursuit. 1 Corinthians verse 14 verse 1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. These are not suggestions. These words, in the Greek, they are imperatives. Three, three imperatives that we have that are written out here. The Apostle Paul writes, pursue, desire, prophesy. Pursue, desire, prophesy. And see, where I would argue with my friend John MacArthur is that he would say prophesying is the equivalent to preaching. It can be, but that's not what it is. You can be preaching prophetically for sure, but that is not. Just getting up and, and, and opening up the scriptures and, and talking about the scripture, that's not necessarily prophetic. Now, there's power in it because it's God's word, right? God doesn't need me in order to transform someone's life. I could stand up here and just read the scriptures, close it, and say, Lord, do, do what you want, and God is going to change lives, right? 
He gives us gifts. He calls us to teach and preach. So anyway, the, the, but, but the writer, the apostle Paul, the one who is inspired here, he, he, he begins to, 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 to make some distinctions between two gifts. But the first thing I want us to focus on is that it is clear that love should be our pursuit. He says, pursue love, right? In other words, run after love. Pursue love. Run out with all of your heart, with everything that is in you. The second thing is you should desire spiritual gifts. So the pursuit should be love. You want, listen, you want the love of God. I never forget being in a prayer meeting like years ago. We were still in the other building. And as we're in the prayer meeting, I mean, you guys have been in prayer meetings with me and you, and you hear me, man, I'm crying out, God, give us your power. Give us your kingdom. Bring revival. And I'm crying out for all of this stuff. And I remember a lady in the church, it was like her first or second time with us. And she begins to pray the most powerful prayer, at least for me. And she just said, God, I just pray that you would fill us with your love. And for a guy like me that is all about power and kingdom and glory and manifestation and God do your work and God bring deliverance and then I forgot God let your love conquer my heart. We need to be conquered by love. We need to be overwhelmed by your love, right? Like this should be what's happening. And so our pursuit should be love. Our desire should be spiritual gifts. And we, say we. We. We should, we, we should prophesy. We'll get into that in a moment. We should, we should again, these are imperatives, not suggestions. Now, these three things here, based on chapter 12 and chapter 13, should be the way that we live. And so here's what I want to say. Our hearts are to be dominated by, consumed with, and overflowing in love. This is the only satisfactory response to the gospel. When we talk about love in our culture, the word love has been defined and redefined and twisted and turned and all kind of stuff. Yesterday in our men's meeting I think it was I think it was Isaac that was that was pointing out in our culture today we hear the words love is love. And automatically every one of us in here probably I would assume you you thought about well love is love and that is pointing to relationship between the same same sex homosexuality lesbianism that's what it's pointing to. And so what has happened is the world has taken a word that is supposed to be holy, and they have distorted it. And church, let me tell you something. Don't be a coward to speak against that lie. Don't feel like you need to shut up about truth. Oh, yeah, you need to show love. You need to show grace. But don't let anyone come making you feel bad because you stand for what God's word says. God's word does not say that love is love. There is a definition of love. I won't go back into that message. That definition of love derived comes from the person who we love. And God, listen, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he dies for us. Love is not just some mushy thing that anybody can, no, 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 no. Love, the way that God defines it is different. It's holy. And see, when we talk about the, the, the reason why we as Christians should pursue love is because we have been gospelized. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have been impacted by the gospel. 
We have experienced the love of God that was extended toward us who were sinners, who were dead in our trespasses. We are God's enemies before we put our faith in him. We are on our way to hell. We are on our way to an eternity separated from God's love, God's goodness, and God's grace. And yet Jesus Christ comes to this earth sent by the Father to shed holy blood so that way you and I could no longer be his enemies, we can become his friends. So that way you and I are no longer on our way to hell, but we are on our way to an eternity with him. We are able, because of what Jesus has done, to know that we who were once enemies are now friends. We are now his beloved. We are now those who are his sons and his daughters. We only know that because of the gospel. And the reason why we are motivated by love, are called to pursue love, is because, man, we've been pursued by love. You see, here's the thing. Listen, let me say this really quickly. You may not get anything else that I'm going to say this morning about the gifts in the next few weeks as we walk through chapter 14, but I hope you get one thing, that Jesus died to save sinners like you and I. And if you are in this place or you're listening to what I'm saying, the most important thing is not that you understand every gift and how it operates. God will give you that as is necessary, but it is that you begin a relationship with him, that you humble yourself before him and you recognize, I am a sinner. And apart from your love, apart from your goodness, I can do nothing to save myself. Save me from myself. Save me from my sin. Bring me into a relationship with you. That is is the most important thing. Amen. See, love is our, is, is, is our highest motivation. And so the Apostle Paul directs us that we should be motivated by love. As a spiritual people, we should also desire the spirit-given, spirit-inspired gifts because that is how God builds. Again, we got to have the right tools. I asked, I asked Brother Raul to, to mount something on the side of the church and in my head, I have one way to do it. And he said, yeah, I need an impact you know, driver to do that because we're going into cement. And I'm like, okay. Well, he was talking about the right tools. I do it a different way. It's fine. It's going to get done either way. I'm going to let him do it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to micromanage it. The point is, you, you, you ain't, I'll tell you this much. You're not going into a cement wall without some kind of power tool. You're not doing that. You need some kind of power tool in order to be able to do that, a specific power tool to do it right. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to the kingdom work. When it comes to what God is doing, you and I need the spiritual gifts. We should desire them. You know why? Because I love you. And Lord, I desire, because of my love for you, because of my love for your people, I desire to see them built up. And so, again, we should desire that. We should, and when, when our hearts are governed by love, when our hearts are good, we want to see our brothers and sisters built up. And what is the Apostle Paul? <clears throat> he's going to point this out as we continue on in chapter 14. But he says that you should desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you would prophesy. In other words, that you would speak, and I'll share this again under the next point, but that you would speak under the inspiration of God for the building up of your brothers and your sisters. And here's the fact. If we purpose in our hearts to maintain this order in our exercise of the gifts of the Spirit, we will be in alignment with God's building plan. Here's the thing. If I am not pursuing love, if that is not the first thing that I am pursuing, then I can get out of whack, and I can end up being in God's way, and I can end up being a hindrance 
to the building plan that God has for his church. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, and it's different than what's in your outline, so be ready to write as you're, you can, you can say it, it'll be up there afterwards, but say this with me, love will lead us, to build others up, not seek to impress them. You see, I can't, I can't speak to our context today in particular, but I can look at the context that we have in the book of 1 Corinthians, and I can say that it seems like the people in the church of Corinth, they were flaunting Certain gifts, especially, and there's a reason, right, why it seems like the Apostle Paul, he juxtaposes prophecy and tongues and, and, makes, and makes this distinction between the two of them. And it could be, right, as, as, as we look at this, it could be because when you look at the book of Acts, right, it seems like tongues and prophecy were always together, right? They moved together. The book of Joel talks about the spirit of God being poured out upon all flesh, right? Our sons and daughters prophesying, right? And so we, we see this here. And so maybe, I don't, I, I, we can't say this for sure, but maybe the apostle Paul is trying to separate it because there were people in the church who were doing the, you know, a should have bought a Kia thing, right? <laughs> Y'all remember that, Pastor Rod, right? <laughs> well, I should have bought a Honda. Maybe it was. I got it confused, right? Anyway, I need an interpretation. But here it is. Here it is. <laughs> but ultimately, right, the, 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 the idea is that they are, are feeling real spiritual and they're prophesying, but nobody's understanding what they're prophesying because they're speaking in tongues. There's a problem. But see, they have a precedent, right? Hey, you remember the book of Acts. They were speaking in tongues and you know, prophesying and proclaiming the praise of God. I'm doing the same thing. And Paul is like, hit the brakes. Hold on a second. There's a right way for this to happen. They were more concerned with impressing people than they were with building people up. And so here's the questions that we have to ask ourselves when we're thinking about the motivation to operate in the gifts. Is it self-aggrandizement? Is it that you're like, hey, look at me. I'm really spiritual. Is, it, is, is that why you feel like you need to you know, operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Is it a traditional motivation? Like, what is your, I told you, my context was, I came into the church, I got saved, and the Assemblies of God Church, I saw things the way they were, and I was like, well, I guess this is how it's supposed to be. Is that, is that the reason why we want to do, or, or is it that you really want to be helpful to your brothers and sisters? And, you're, and you really want to see them growing in faith and in fruit, in faith and in fruit, we want to see people growing that way, don't we? That's what the Father's trying to do, right? The Father is glorified. John chapter 15, when we bear much fruit, that's how the Father is glorified. And so, first thing we, we see here, verse 2, he says this. He says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So the first thing I want you to see that the Apostle Paul says is that tongues have a personal benefit to the speaker, but alone are not helpful to the church. Those are Paul's words, not my words. This is what Paul is saying. I'm going to tell you something. This is the reason why John MacArthur has such a gripe with so many in the church. Because we won't go and say, hey, hit the brakes. Someone greater than your experience Someone greater than your pastor, someone greater than your denomination wrote some stuff that we should be paying attention to. 
And so if we're going to operate in the gifts according to the scriptures, then we need to do this based upon what the Apostle Paul says. So he says that the person who is speaking in a tongue, he, no one understands him. He's speaking to God. Verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue, look at this, verse 4, edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. See that? So here's what I want you to understand. Tongues can be. You, you, you may have that gift. And they should, in private, you go all out. You and Jesus, I mean, you, you go. You and the Spirit of God. When, because there is edification that's happening. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I think the reason why God even manifests tongues in my life is because my head gets in the way of what he's trying to do. Straight up. It's not because I'm so spiritual. It's because I'm not spiritual enough. Hello. And so I'm praying power, kingdom. He's like, love, love. Just And I start speaking in tongues, praying for love. That's what it is. I guess that's, I, I don't know. But the point is that, that, that I really believe that, right? Like some of us, we're, we just won't submit the way that we need to. And so we can't pray in a language we know. And the spirit wants to pray through us. There is that thing. There's edification. There's a difference. Let me say this, and I'm moving on. There is a difference between edification and sensation. Listen now. There's a difference between being built up and experience, experiencing a witness that that's the spirit. Let me give you an example. Been in church, told you my, my, my history. Woman behind me, starts speaking in tongues. Service, service slows down. You've been there. Service stops. And then it's the right thing to do, right? You're going you're gonna to disrupt the service speaking. I mean, the music is pretty loud. And if you start speaking in tongues that loud, like you're loud. Hello. So you speak loud, you're disrupting the service. So the right thing to do, slow it down. Let's see. Is there an interpretation? Starts interpreting. Interpreting. <laughs> interpreting tongues, right? So starts. And, 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 and I'm standing right in front. I, I mean, I sense the witness of the spirit as she is going and she is saying what the Lord wants. And all of a sudden, she took a beeline to the right. And that witness lifted. I was like, oh, no, you went beyond the Lord right now. You decided to just interject your thoughts. It's very, very important, right? We're going to get to that, that interpretation side of stuff. But nonetheless, right, there's a difference between the witness, right? There's, the, there's a difference between sensation because I've had this conversation multiple times. And, you know, other people are like, hey, but when someone else is speaking in tongues, I feel edified. No, you don't. You feel something. That's not edification. Hello. You sense the witness, but, but the building up that God is talking about, you can't. You know why? Because the Bible says you can't. Hello. Now, you can argue with me all you want. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say, right? So what, is, what are these three things that, that prophecy does? The second thing, the so first thing is tongues has a personal benefit to the speaker, but alone are not helpful to the church. Secondly, prophecy. Right, what what to prophesy is more helpful to the church than tongues, as it helps the church. Right? How does it help the church? Helps the church through three things: edification, exhortation, comfort. We'll talk about that in a moment. But when we look at the word prophesy, what does that mean? It means to speak under the in, the most basic level is to speak under the inspiration of God. Sometimes when someone prophesies, they are foretelling. They are telling something that will happen. Agabus, right? You have different people throughout the scriptures. 
these things are going to, going to occur. And then you, some other people are just forth-telling, right? They're speaking. You have many prophets who are doing what? They are, they are simply communicating what God's law has said. They're reminding the people of God that they have violated God's law, and there are going to be consequences. And sometimes, most of the time, there is a mixture of the forth-telling with foretelling because God will speak to them about the things, right, that they are going to experience specifically. Are you all tracking with me? All right. So, so to prophesy, is he saying, okay, every single one of you needs to foretell? Is that what he's saying? No. No. He tells us in Ephesians and Colossians that we are supposed to speak to each other in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. This is how our faith is built, right? This, the spiritual song. The, you're, you're inspired by the Lord. Right? Could be inspired to pray, could be inspired to encourage someone, could be inspired to share a scripture, could be, I mean, but speaking under the inspiration, that is what I believe the, the Apostle Paul is getting at. It's speaking under the inspiration of God. And so let's look at these three things really quickly. What, 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 what does this do for the church? Again, these are the three things the Apostle Paul says. They're very closely connected. The first one is edification. What, what is edification? Well, when I look at edification, it's building faith. Edification, right? The act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, holiness. Edification. When, when we are prophesying one to the other, when we are ministering under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are bringing edification. We are building faith, right? Every week we say we engage people where they are. Building faith in Christ, right? How do we build faith in Christ? Speak under inspiration. Be led by the Spirit of God. In your relationship with him, walk with him. I told you this, man. There's times that I'm speaking under inspiration. I don't even realize it. It's not like God says, hey, Jason, I gotta, I'm going to speak to you right now through inspiration. It's not, it doesn't happen like that all the time. I would say 90% of the time, I have no clue that I'm even speaking under inspiration. I'm just talking. And God does what he's doing. And it's not because I'm so spiritual. I just told you I'm not. That's why he's got to make me speak in tongues because I'm not spiritual enough. Second thing he says, it brings exhortation. This is encouraging faith, right? Exhorting, right? I, I, I exhort a lot when I preach. It's encouraging faith, a calling near, a summons, right, for help. Consolation, comfort. There's some comfort. There's solace. That which affords comfort or refreshment, persuasive discourse, stirring address, instructive, admonitory, conciliatory, powerful, hortatory discourse, right? He is talking about hearing words that, that stir us, right? That, that, that remind us, man, this is why we're here. This is what we're called to do. So when we're speaking under inspiration, it may be the, it's those words, you know, of a coach that says, come on, you can keep going. When, when I think of exhortation, right, it's that. It's, it's that word that spurs you on, that says, you don't quit now. Keep going. Keep pushing. And then the, war, the last one is comfort. Strengthening. This is strengthening faith, right? Again, comfort and exhortation, they, 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 they kind of go hand in hand there. But it, it's any address, whether made for the purpose of persuading or of arousing and stimulating or of calming and consoling. It's strengthening faith. That's when you come beside someone, when your words come to give strength to their faith. Not, not that they need to keep pressing on and, in that sense, keep running harder, but letting them know, man, God is with you in the midst of this. As Pastor Aldo was reminding us today how forgetful we are, right? Those, those are words of comfort. There he was. He was prophesying glory to God. He was, he was speaking under inspiration to our lives, right? 
He was, he, was, he, was, he was coming to comfort, to exhort. It was that combination of, a, of what prophecy does. That's how God wants to use us, right, primarily when we're going to be in a public discourse in the congregation. And so the desire for and practice of the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit must always be done for what? To bring the most benefit to the church as a whole. Look at what, look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 5. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. I want you to hear my, my tongue-speaking friends. There is nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. It is, part of the, it is part of the package of giftings that God gives the church. All right, so there's nothing wrong with that. There's a right way to, uh, to apply it. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but, but even more that you prophesied. For he who speaks prophecy is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And so what does he say? Tongues by themselves are lesser than someone who is prophesying unless someone interprets, right? You see that? We're going to talk about interpretation as we get down and uh, as we move forward. The point is, in this context, the one who speaks prophecy to the church, the one who prophesies to the church, the one who speaks under the inspiration of the Spirit to build, to to comfort, to encourage, to exhort the church, that one is greater. Not, Not like you're greater than this one, but that gift is more valuable to the church as a whole. Third thing, my last point. Say this with me. Say, love will guide us to making God known and his people built up. Love will guide us to making God known and his people built up. Now listen, if we are the dwelling place of God, if we are the image bearers of God, what do you think that our primary responsibility should be when we gather to worship when we're, when, we're, when we're congregating, right? It should be to make God known, right? When we sing songs, it's not, we're, we're, singing songs isn't so you can know who can riff the best. Singing songs isn't knowing who has the most beautiful voice, who's the person that you just connect. It's not, it's not about that. Singing songs in, in worship, it is really about the king, it is, if we're doing, if we, as, as, as a music ministry, if we are doing our job right, as a preacher, if we are doing our job right, we are pointing you to Christ. We are focusing you in on him above everything else. Again, it's in the words. It's in, it's in what we are singing, not so much about how we are singing. Listen, don't get it twisted, right? It's not like harmonies don't matter. It's not like just anybody should get up and just start singing. There are some people who should not. You have not been gifted in that way to, to lead. Now, listen to me now. I don't want to, I don't want to, I do not want to offend anyone here, right? And I, but more than that, I don't, want, I don't want anyone not to sing in worship because everybody is commanded to sing, not everybody is gifted to lead. There's a difference. Everyone is called to sing, everyone is called to participate. Congregational singing is something that is, is, is biblical. We, we, listen, there should be no one in the room. You should, listen, you should not be standing there like a lump on the log when, like a lump on the log when we're singing. If you are, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Hello. 
Now listen, you, you may be like Dr. Pete. Your hands don't go past here. Maybe your hands are in your pocket. I don't care where your hands are. I care about your words. We'll get to hands later on. But right now, I'm talking about your work, right? Like, like that's something we should all be participating in. Nonetheless, it is about what? It is about making God known. And so when love guides us, it will lead us to make God known and his people built up. And so the Apostle Paul goes on. We're going to look at this. He says, but now, brethren, if I come to you, verse 6, speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? And look at this. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, or cell phone? That was beautiful. I don't know whose phone that was, but that was great, right? Because that gives us like a, a picture of, y'all heard that music? Y'all know what steps you were supposed to do if you know how to dance that stuff. Come on now. Right? Like, like you know, okay, this is side side. That's merengue. This is whatever. Whatever the, the music comes up. But if somebody just goes and starts making some noise, you're like, well, what are we doing here? Is it a two-step? Is it a wall? Is it, you know, what, what are we doing? Like, I, you know, okay, I'm going to just do. Yeah. Just keep, you know, I, I don't know, right? Like, <laughs> like, what, are, like, like, what, like, what, 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 what is the, what is the sound, right? So, so again, the Apostle Paul is now driving home these examples, right? So he's pointing out, he's saying, so even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in sounds... How will it be known what is piped or played? Should I cry right now? Should I laugh? What, what, what emotion, right? What action should I be taking when I'm hearing these songs, right? Is this, a, is this a happy song that we're rejoicing because someone got married? Or is this a, a mourning song because someone just passed away? But if, but, but if there's no clear melody that is happening in the sound, nobody knows what to do. We're just confused. What is he talking about? He's talking about tongues, right? He's, this, let's stay in the context, right? He's saying, okay, so when, when I come to you, I don't want to come to you speaking with tongues. I want to come to you with a revelation. I want to come to you with knowledge. I want to come to you prophesying. The second thing that he says, verse 8, he says, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So now it's not just about like what, what, the, what, the, what the atmosphere should be like, but now he points out, he's like, hold on, something else happens. So you got people that are watching, they're looking out there, and they blow the trumpet to warn everyone and say, hey, get ready for battle, the enemy is coming. But if the trumpet doesn't make the right sound, guess what doesn't happen? Nobody's alerted. Like, man, who's, made, who's blowing that trumpet? What's wrong with them? Do they, do they not know how to play that thing? I mean, my, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. What is, what is going on? And then you end up getting killed because you didn't know the enemy was coming. Now, this is the point that Paul is making. So if we just come together and we're doing the, the Honda, Kia thing, right? And listen, I, I, I say that jokingly, right? But if we come and we're inspired by the Spirit and we just decide, well, this is the gift of the Spirit. I know that I'm a spiritual person. I know God loves me. I know this is real. And so I'm going to express it in the public gathering. What we end up doing is creating confusion rather than moving people to action. It goes on to say, so likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. 
Now, here's the thing. We can either speak into the air and make a little positive impact in the church or ensure our gift, our use of the gifts are accomplishing what God intends, which is to edify, encourage, comfort, warn, direct, etc. We can either seek to make God known or keep people away from God. Now, I I want you to think about the words the Apostle Paul is going to say now. He says in verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world that none of them is without significance. Another translation has said there may be so many kinds of tongues in the world and none of them is without significance. I love when Pastor Rod was preaching and he gave us like those three different examples that he gave. The one that just stuck with me was the... I was like, geez, Louise, if somebody were to do that, I'd be like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) But I already told you I'm not that spiritual, so there it is, right? But there are so many languages, there is none without significance. Therefore, if, listen to this, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you are being led by the Spirit, who is speaking? It's the Holy Spirit, is it not? And so what he is saying is that you make someone else a foreigner to God because you're not speaking in in an intelligible language. It doesn't have to be a language that you and I understand, right? Because as, as Pastor Rod shared, the people that were there didn't get it. Oh, but, they, but these people were speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit. Here's the thing. Our goal is what? We're not trying to impress people. We're not trying to show people how, 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 how spiritual we are. We want to edify people. We want to build people's faith. The last verse there, verse 12, we're wrapping up. He says, even so you... Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. I want you to notice something. The Apostle Paul does not say, stop seeking spiritual gifts. That isn't what he says. He doesn't say, quench the spirit. Stop practicing these gifts in the church. That's not what he says. He says, seek to excel for the right reason. Seek to operate in these gifts for the right reason. Seek to to, to engage in these gifts for the right reason. And so again, we have a responsibility. We want to make God known in everything we're doing. We want to pursue what is best for the body. And so my closing question for you is this. Are you pursuing what is best for the body? Are you pursuing what is best for the body? See, here's the thing that I want you to understand in that question. Is that it's not just for me. It's not just for the leadership to pursue what's best for the body. It is for us to pursue what's best for the body. So are you pursuing love? Are you desiring spiritual gifts? And especially that you may prophesy? Are you a person that is living your life in real surrender unto God? That way you can be a person who moves under the inspiration of the Spirit. You can be a person who is singing under the inspiration of the Spirit. You can be a person who is communicating under the inspiration of the Spirit and moving under the inspiration of the Spirit. Or do you just think that that's someone else's job? Someone else in the church can do the, the gift stuff. I'm just going to come, see what I like, take, you know, walk away from what I don't. No, 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 church. We, collectively, Paul was not writing to leaders. He was writing to the church. So we, collectively, should be pursuing 
what is best for the church. So I'll stand with me, please, if you would. So I ask you to bow your heads right where you are. I don't, I don't know how God spoke to you. I don't know what he spoke to you. But if you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus and you want to begin a relationship with him, today is an opportunity for you to do that. Don't leave here the same way that you came in. Don't ignore what you sense in your heart. Maybe you sense that. You sense that God is saying, I want you to make you, I want to make you mine today. I love you. I died for you. I rose for you. And I'm calling you to myself today. Maybe that's you today. We want to pray with you. And so if that's you, and you want to make that commitment to Christ, I invite you to come forward so we can pray with you today. Hallelujah. ourselves in this moment before you and we thank you so much for your grace we thank you so much for your love we thank you for these wonderful reminders of how much you love us and how you want to build us I pray Lord God that you would direct our hearts to bring you glory to bring you honor